0: Christmas Chronicles, an exclusive dramatic reading by Tim Slover, presented by BYU Radio. This eight-part series captures the magic and mystery of everyone's favorite Yuletide character, revealing a true and complete history of Santa Claus. Episode 3, Anna the Racer. open-mouthed at the apparition before him. He had been despondent over not being able to deliver his toys to the children of the west and east villages and the farmhouse on the Roman road, all due to the fierce blizzard that had suddenly blown up on this Christmas Eve. He had sought shelter under a huge pine tree when this sleigh had flashed up, spraying snow everywhere. And this yellow-haired young woman had leapt out to peer at him by lantern light Now Klaus peered back. He couldn't help but notice that she was excessively pretty. "'You're just the man I need to see,' she had said. "'How did you?' Klaus began. "'Let's talk on the sleigh,' she interrupted. "'Haven't you something to deliver?' "'Toys,' he said. "'Toys?' said the young woman and looked surprised. "'Well, toys are not what I expected.' "'But then I didn't really know what to expect.' Dasher, will you pull this fine-looking young man and his sack of toys? Fine-looking? Klaus liked that. Dasher snorted and tossed his head as if to say, I could pull twenty such and not strain a fetlock. Klaus lifted his sack into the sleigh and it raced off into the snowstorm. And what with the truly alarming speed and the snow flying into their faces and Klaus having to interrupt, to shout directions every so often, it was hard to piece together the story the young woman told. But eventually he got it all. Her name was Anna. She was a stitcher and the daughter and granddaughter of stitchers. She could make any sort of garment, from the finest lace shawl to the toughest leather jerkin and she loved any kind of work with the needle. She was by nature spontaneous, so sometimes she worked into the most common coat or breeches, sprays of spring flowers or likenesses of birds and beasts, and once a scene from the Battle of Jericho, embroidered in colourful threads. She loved to work in all colours, especially deep, true shades, but she had an absolute passion for red. There was only one thing which anna loved more than stitching and that was racing in her sleigh she did not compete against other drivers they had given up contending against her long ago and banned her from their races no anna raced the wind and if she was spontaneous as a stitcher she was hair-raisingly reckless as a driver in this she was perfectly matched by her great-hearted reindeer dasher Nothing made the two of them as happy as flying over open fields of fresh snow at breakneck speed, unless it was careening around the sharp corner of an icy road on one steel runner, the other flashing in the air. That night, Anna had had a dream, she said. And it was the sort of dream you pay attention to. You know the kind I mean, Klaus, she shouted. They were on their way to the first village to deliver toys. Klaus noticed how nice his name sounded when Anna shouted it. So comforting and familiar, like she'd been shouting it all her life. I dreamed I was stitching a long coat and some breeches, both dyed a deep hollyberry crimson and made of supple deer skin. At this, Dasher tossed his antlered head and snorted. Sorry, Dasher, it was just a dream, Anna called. And then... Now, remember, this was just a dream. You mustn't think I'm daft. Oh, I won't, Klaus said, because he knew he never could. Well, in my dream, Dasher here put his head in my window while I was stitching and said, Yes, you heard me, said, that's the daft part, There's a man sitting under Three Mile Pine, and you must go with me right now to get him. He has something urgent which must be delivered tonight. And just as I was wondering how Dasher had learned speech, I woke up. And the dream was so vivid, I knew I had to obey it. So that's why I was surprised when you told me that the urgent something was just some toys, she concluded. But they are urgent, Klaus said. And he told her all about the Black Death, visiting his village and about its losses and about the children helping and Father Goswin blessing the toys and the growing list of children longing for one. And so the toys are very urgent, Anna, Klaus concluded. They bring happiness and fun and hope to the children, and they must all be delivered on Christmas Eve, because that's when they're blessed and will do the children the most good." And there was such concern and earnestness in Klaus's voice and demeanour that Anna impulsively squeezed his hand. "'Then deliver them all, we shall!' she exclaimed. "'Dasher, show this carpenter the meaning of speed!' And with a great bound, Dasher ran away into the stormy night, and his speed was now so great that it was as if they had been standing still before, and now they were flying. And what with the urgency he felt to deliver his toys and the increasing fascination he was feeling for Anna, and the periodic surety he felt that he was about to be killed when the sleigh hit large bumps in the snow and actually did fly for a few feet, it was quite a night for Klaus. They delivered toys safely to the doorstep of each house containing a child in every village, hamlet and farm on Klaus's list. And they did it with ease. It was still four hours before the bell of the stone church in Klaus's village would toll Christmas matins when Anna delivered Klaus to his own doorstep. She put a hand briefly on his arm and jumped back into her sleigh before he could do anything but stammer his thanks. It had stopped storming and the frosty December moon had come out from behind the last rack of clouds to turn the new snow into a carpet of diamonds. Klaus called after Anna. Will I see you again? That depends, carpenter, she called back. Depends on what? Whether or not you like my proposal. Then she spoke to her reindeer. On, Dasher, she cried, and the slave shot away like an arrow. Klaus's heart skipped a beat. I, I'm sure I will, he shouted after her, but he wasn't sure she had heard. At daybreak, Klaus returned to his doorstep after a few hours of sleep. Following his tradition of three years, he wanted to stand and listen to the exclamations of surprise and happiness when the children rushed out to see what he had brought them. He was particularly proud of a bird whistle he had devised, which could sound very like a lark. He had made one for each child, and he wanted to hear the dawn chorus of the children blowing them, the sound of green spring in the midst of winter. He waited expectantly as the pale Christmas sun rimmed above the horizon. And a few moments later he heard what he had been listening for. First one lone bird from away over by the mill pond, then another from close to the market square, and then a whole chorus of larks. It was mixed with shouts and exclamations of childish glee. And Klaus's heart swelled with satisfaction. It was all worth it. All the months of toil among the wood shavings and the supreme effort of the night before, all worth it just to hear those sweet sounds. He turned smiling to go back in for another few hours sleep when he heard another sound. It was a wail. Klaus stood stock still. It came from close by the market square. And then some child burst into tears, right in the center of the village. And then it seemed howls of disappointment rose to meet his ears from all over town. It was a dismal din. And that's when Klaus noticed among the smoke of half a hundred cook fires rising from village chimneys, a thin stream of black coming from behind the guildhall. He raced over there as quickly as he could, without even putting on his coat. And what greeted him behind the guildhall was a mound of smouldering ashes. Heedless of the heat, he reached into it and plucked out a charred wooden bear with movable legs his signature toy. It was all toys. Someone had made a fire of half the toys he had left on the doorsteps in his village. Not just someone he suddenly knew with complete certainty, Rolf Eckhoff. Other men would have been angry, but Klaus did not understand anger. He only felt it once in his life, but that incident comes later in this chronicle. At this moment, he just stood helplessly holding the charred bear and wept. And so it was that that Christmas, half the children of the little village below Mount Feldburg had no toy for a gift. And when they turned their tear-stained faces to their parents and asked why, I'm afraid more than one grown-up used the occasion for instruction. Do you remember when you neglected to churn the butter and ran away to play instead, her mother replied. Hark back to the time in the summer when you pulled Gretchen's hair, her father sternly reminded, you didn't mind. You were sullen and surly, you neglected your prayers. And the conclusion to all these faults was, and so you got no toy this year. Klaus must have heard. Let it be a lesson for you, naughty child, and be better in the new year, and you may get a gift next Christmas. So alarmed was Klaus by this false and pernicious notion that he formally forsook his anonymity to try to correct it. I just deliver toys, he said to all who would listen. Who am I to discern hearts or mete out judgment? But the myth that Klaus could know the moral condition of children and reward or punish them accordingly was so useful to parents that it persisted and does to this day. One day, a few weeks into the New Year, a thing happened for which Klaus had been waiting impatiently since the eve of Christmas. It was the Frost Fair, when people from all the surrounding villages came to the market square to buy and sell winter goods. Klaus was there, selecting tools for his trade. He could not help but notice that some of the children looked very sad or gave him very black looks when he encountered them, and it burned his heart but he comforted himself with the thoughts of the marvellous new toys he would make them for next Christmas. Only he did not at all know how he would prevent Rolf Eckhoff's thefts, and this worried him. Then, in a shower of sprayed snow and a cry of watch out from someone, Anna was suddenly there. She strode right over to him, "'Where can I get beeswax for my runners?' she demanded of him, as though they were resuming a conversation instead of seeing each other for the first time in weeks. And then, "'It's my first frost fair, you know.' All that day, Klaus and Anna spent together, going from booth to booth and pretending to be interested in the wares. And those who loved Klaus were glad to see the young man with the flaming hair and beard, it was a rich, full beard now, made so happy.' even if it was by a foreigner from outside the village. In the evening, Klaus took Anna up to his cottage and they had a supper of bread with honey and cured meats and winter apples. The latter, with some stored grain, made an excellent meal for Dasher, who waited outside polishing his antlers against the trunk of a bare linden tree. Anna deplored and poured scorn on Klaus's scanty wardrobe of a few ragged and rusty-coloured smocks and breeches and coats. But she marvelled at the many beautiful and useful things he had made for his home. Sliding pocket doors and carved shelves and a table with removable leaves. It all put Anna in mind of the parting statement she had made to Klaus on Christmas morning. About my proposal, she said... Klaus swallowed hard. He had been waiting all day for her to introduce this subject and had hardly been able to keep himself from bringing it up. "'I accept,' he blurted out. "'But you haven't heard it yet,' she scoffed. "'Oh, uh, yes, go on,' Klaus said. "'Dasher needs a house. I would like you to build him one.' It was, if not the very last thing Klaus had expected her to say, then very, very close to it. A house, he said, for your reindeer. And it must be a good one, Anna went on. She looked around. Twice as big as this one, with all your lovely counters and shelves and a great carven bed, twice as big as yours. But he's a reindeer, Klaus blurted out. Anna frowned. A very remarkable reindeer to be sure, Klaus hastily added, but still, you know, he finished weakly. Yes, she said. Well, a bed? Shelves? I suppose he'll want an ice box and a cook stove and a privy out back. Naturally, she said. But, Anna, why? Klaus burst out. She smiled. Oh. <laughs> You needn't know that. You just build the house. I see, he said. And in exchange, I will give you a sleigh. A very fine, fast sleigh, with room enough in it for all your toys, even if you end up delivering all over the Black Forest. And Dasher and I will help you with your deliveries next Christmas Eve. What about the Christmas Eve after that? Klaus asked. He was trying to be sly and drive a hard bargain. We'll see, Anna replied. Klaus looked into Anna's sky-blue eyes. For one whole second he considered how truly mad her proposal was. "'I accept,' he said. "'Good,' she said, and they shook on it. "'And you will build Dasha's house right here beside your own.' "'You don't wish me to build it in your own village?' he asked, surprised. "'I'm certain this is where Dasher wants his house,' he replied. "'He likes the view.' So it was that all through the frosty winter, in addition to making his livelihood, Klaus built Dasher a house next to his own. When it came time to set the crooks in place, the young men of the village came to help. And then they all toasted the frame with winter ale and spoke of their marriage prospect. And though Klaus was silent, carrying, as he believed, his desire to wed Anna as a secret in his heart, The others grinned at him because, in truth, the thought was written all over his face. And when spring came at last, and with it the chattering of the mill stream again into the pond, the children collected reeds there and dried them in the sun for Klaus as they had done after the plague. And the master Thatcher helped him make his roof. Then there was more toasting when the roof was in place this time with new spring wine, and so the outside of Dasher's house was finished. But this was only the beginning for Klaus, because now the inside needed doing. The furnishings, all the carving and carpentry, he felt must be done by himself alone. Only the finest, he said to himself, for Dasher. So, through the spring and the summer, he set himself to making and carving the new bigger bed, the shelves and chests of drawers, the table and chairs, and, most absurd of all, the privy out back, that Dasher would be unable to enter, let alone want to use. And, because he was now also making this year's toys, as well as all the new house furnishings, and working for his own livelihood on top of that, he was busier than at any other time in his twenty-five years of living. Yet he was happy, as he always was, once he knew what there was to do and was doing it. So when a delegation from a village away on the other side of Mount Feldburg, where Klaus had never been, came to tell him that his fame had reached them and to ask him if their children might possibly be squeezed into this year's Christmas Eve deliveries, a smile wreathed his face. He said, yes, without hesitation, and asked for directions. But when the delegation left, very happy with the news they would be taking back to the other side of Mount Feldburg, Klaus thought, this sleigh Anna is giving me had better be very fast indeed. Anna visited often. Claiming a thorough acquaintance with Dash's tastes and preferences, she frequently directed the shape or carving or colour of a particular item. When she paid unusually close attention to the cook-stove, which Klaus intended to buy at the fall fair, it was his turn to laugh. "'Why should Dasher be so particular about the size of the firebox? he asked. "'He has hoofs. He won't even be able to open the door.' Anna took great offence at this. "'Do not presume, Klaus, just because your hair is so red and fine, to know the ways of reindeer. The firebox must be just as I have said.' And so Klaus shook his head of fine red hair and did as she wished. In truth, it was a pleasure to him to do as Anna wished. And when once again the snow began to fly in the village under the mountain and the ice began to creep day by day from the edges to the middle of the mill pond, the house was completed. And so were Klaus's new batch of toys. This year he was featuring Noah's arks with animals two by two and was quite happy with the way the lions had turned out, having copied them from the breviary Father Goswin kept in the stone church. And, of course, there were lots of bears and tops and whistles too. When will Dasher move in? Klaus asked Anna. The reindeer's house was now well and truly finished, inside and out. "'When there's enough snow on the ground for him to pull your new sleigh to you,' Anna replied. So now Klaus sat in his own house and waited impatiently for the first real storm of the autumn. At last it came, blowing in fast from the north in the night and depositing enough sugary new snow to fill all the lanes and drift up to the top step of Klaus's cottage. Then, shortly before dawn, the storm blew itself south and when the sun came up, it shone on a hushed white world. And on that sunny winter day, Anna came, driving Klaus's new sleigh. Behind it was hitched her own, and both were filled with bags and parcels and bolts of cloth and clutches of ribbons and woollen threads of all the colours of the rainbow. And sticking out behind Anna's sleigh was a tall case clock. Dasher made nothing of the extra weight He trotted briskly, his antlers trimmed with red ribbons, in high spirits to be coming to his new house. Anna drove through the lanes of the village, and the villagers, sensing by common knowledge that something special was about to happen, followed behind her. So that by the time Anna glided to a stop in front of the two houses, Klaus's and the new one, the whole village was following in a train behind. They crowded around as Anna leapt lightly to the ground, "'What do you think of your new sleigh, Klaus?' she asked. "'Splendid!' he replied. He was right. He was trimmed in red and gold and far larger and more regal than he needed, he thought, but so sleek and swift-looking that on any other occasion he would have longed to jump in it then and there and let Dasha take him for a ride. But this was not any other occasion. "'How do you like Dasher's new house?' he asked Anna and all the crowd listened anxiously, breathless to know her answer. Anna turned to her reindeer. What do you say, Dasher? she asked. Is it suitable? The reindeer bugled his approval loudly and stamped the snowy ground. The village cheered. But Anna smiled. A house? For a reindeer? she asked. What can you be thinking, Klaus? Klaus smiled back. Yeah. When you come to think of it, it is a silly idea. Can you think of a better one? Or is your head only good for growing splendid red hair? And suddenly, Klaus could think of a better idea. Or, having been thinking of it for the better part of a year, it finally rushed up from his heart to his mouth. He got down on a knee in the snow. Anna, he asked, will you come and live with me in Dash's house? Uh, as your wife, I hope you mean, she said. Klaus blushed scarlet. Yes, yes, of course, he said quickly. Yes, yes, of course, she replied just as quickly. Dasher can live in your old house. Such a loud and sustained cheer went up from the villagers that it could almost be heard on the other side of Mount Feldborg. <laughs> and without further ado, the crowd unloaded Anna's belongings from the sleighs and bustled them into the new house, taking care not to damage her tall case clock. And then they placed Anna and Klaus on two of Klaus's new chairs and carried them down to the stone church where Father Goswin married them, delivering also an edifying sermon on the joys and rigors of the married state. Finally, when everyone had gone outside and a great bonfire was lit in the market square for warmth and jollity, Anna produced a large package. It's your wedding gift, Klaus. Open it. Inside was the most splendid thing Klaus had ever seen. Indeed, it was so splendid that everyone, just on the edge of starting a very raucous wedding celebration, stopped what they were doing and grew hushed when Klaus drew it from its wrappings and held it up. It was a long coat, with breeches and a hat, all made from the finest, softest, thickest wool. They were dyed the deepest hollyberry crimson and trimmed in white ermine. Two leaping reindeer were embroidered on the front of the coat, one on either side of the buttons. They were, in truth, garments for a king, not a village carpenter. I will not have my husband cold on Christmas Eve. Anna declared and gave Klaus a resounding kiss. At that, the loudest cheer of the day went up. And the wedding party roared to a start. But lurking at the edge of the crowd, because he could not stay away from the happiest day in Klaus's life, was unhappy Rolf Eckhoff. And seeing Klaus's happiness and the village joining in it, jealousy and rage rose in him like a ravenous hunger. For a moment, Klaus's eye happened to catch his, and Klaus saw in it all of Rolf Eckhoff's malice and hatred for him. And in the midst of all his bliss, he felt a stab of dread, for Klaus knew that now his trouble was just beginning. Heard episode three, of the Racer, from the Christmas Chronicles, performed by Richard Johnstone. Next time, hear the Magic Reindeer. The Christmas Chronicles is an eight part dramatic reading written by Tim Slover. Music is by Robert Roberry. To hear the entire Christmas Chronicles, go to our website, byuradio.org.